Does anybody know who wrote that song? That song was originally done? Raise your hand if you know who that was. Anybody? Right there. Oh, you, of course you would. Richard plays for our music team. I, and I expect better of you from the rest of the service. That's John Lennon, 1971. Almost 50 years, or 50 years ago, a little, 50 years and some change, right? But I think we're still asking the same question, or we're begging for the same thing. Especially in today, I mean, he wrote that 50 years ago. Already this whole uh, idea of the media and politics, everything blown up, and whose version of the truth am I supposed to listen to? Wow, hasn't that multiplied into today's world? We're, we're getting our, our news from not Twitter anymore. What is it? X, right? We're getting our, 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 we're getting our news from X. And who is, you know, like, that's where our truth's supposed to, where's it supposed to come from? We are begging for truth because why? You need truth to live life correctly, to live life as it's supposed to be. And so we're searching for truth as much now as we ever have. And in this search for truth, at some point, we're going to have to start to, to ask some questions and come to some conclusions about who God really is. Does he exist? Let's just start there. Does he even exist? Is he just a figment of my imagination? Or is he just a, a byproduct of social culture to make us feel more emotionally secure about ourselves? And so it's all just made up to control the populace. Is that, is that who God is? Is that what truth is? Or is God knowable? Does he reveal himself to us as we try to live out uh, on this earth? See, we all feel a gap. We all come into this world feeling a gap, or we become aware of a gap at some point in our lives between us and God where we, we, we recognize it's this concept of God, but we struggle to actually feel his personal impact on our lives. And so there's this gap that exists. I can remember uh, in my own life feeling that gap for, for what I, I, I became aware of within myself for the first time as like a 16 or 17-year-old. I can remember being about 16, 17 years old, and I can remember just being outside, just enjoying nature. A lot of you guys enjoy nature, right? You connect with God through nature. Your thoughts, your inner life kind of starts to, to grow when you're around nature and you're around beautiful surroundings. And I can remember being outside, looking up to the sky and wondering to myself, am I good enough to get into heaven? How good do you have to be to not go to the bad place? If that's a real thing, right? Am I good enough? If I were to die, to get into heaven, those were the thoughts that plagued my, you know, my 16, 17-year-old mind. You know? That's why I started to think about the bigger picture there. Is, am I good enough? And I can remember as you know, an arrogant 16, 17-year-old male would, right? Like, who thinks he knows everything? Like, I'm probably a six and a half or seven, right? You know, like, my gap's only a metric of like three, three and a half. I'm probably just good enough. You know, I'm, I'm not the best of the best. I mean, that's reserved for Who? the Mother Teresa's of the world, right? Like, that's who that's, that's, those are the 9.9s, right? They're the ones that get first spot in line to get into heaven. But, as, but I think as long as I'm north of five, you know, as long as I'm north of five on the goodness rating, whew, I'll be okay. 
I'll just take, as long as they just let me in. I don't need the best spot, right? I just want to get in. I felt a gap. I felt a gap between me and God. And so then I started to live. I started to have a certain chunk of my life where I tried to live to close that gap. And so I would do certain things. I would be involved in certain activities, certain practices to try and make that gap a little closer. I can remember, again, being like a high schooler and attending a religious service and doing the whole altar call thing, which we, we don't do much around here, but the whole where you know where you're, and some of you are with me on this. Some of you, and don't feel guilty about it, because I can remember the whole like, and if you would like to know Jesus and receive him as your personal Lord, say, raise your hand. I raised my hand. That sounds, I want some of that. I would love some Jesus. I can remember doing that, taking that step to think, of, well, maybe that'll do it. Maybe if I raise my hand, I won't feel so much of a gap between me and God. I can remember going to college. I can remember being invited to gatherings. Not very different than this, in a sense. There was a place for people to sit, and there was somebody up front, like me, who would say certain things that were spiritual and came from the Bible. And I used those gatherings to try and close that gap between me and God. I got invited um, to a group, small groups. I was like, that, that might do it. That might close that gap between me and God. So I, was, I attended some of those smaller groups. I went uh, on conferences went on mission trips. These are all things that I willingly said, I just need to close this gap. I want this gap to be, be smaller. I want to feel God's real presence in my life. What do I have to do? And why all those things are good in, in their own way, and all those things are a part of a collective picture, a collective holistic picture of my spiritual journey and probably some of your spiritual journeys as well, those are kind of the mountaintop experiences, you know, big conferences, mission trips, uh, youth group camps. Who went to camps? Who went to any kind of camp as a kid? We just had one, right? Like, we just had, my kids went to camp. I am so thankful that they went to camp. That's not saying the camp's bad, but you can't sustain a spiritual journey off of the mountaintop experiences, can you? The things that are just right at the top of your emotional world. You need something more solid, more steady more sustaining, more foundational to your spiritual journey if you're going to know God's presence and see that gap between you and God start to close, start to narrow. And that is what getting your fingerprints on the Bible is about. It's about learning who God is for yourself. Learning to know His personal presence. See, until we commit in our lives getting our own fingerprints on the Bible, our spiritual journeys are going to suffer in three major ways. We will be stunted in this world. We will be stunted spiritually because one, we will misunderstand the very nature of the Bible itself. We're going to misunderstand what this is. We're going to be like the Jeopardy players that don't really know what exists. And so therefore, we just, we just kind of keep it at arm's length. We'll never get to know what the words are, what the characters are, what the people are, um, what the motivations are in here. And we'll never be able to access just the raw, supernatural power of walking with God daily.
and knowing what he says. So we're going to misunderstand the Bible, what it is, how to access it, how to read it, and the power that comes from a continually sustained journey. Because we misunderstand and mistrust the Bible itself, we will misunderstand and mistrust the very nature of God. Who he says is in his own words, not just what somebody like me might tell you what he's like. And if we don't understand who God really claims to be, we're going to miss out and we're going to misunderstand who we really are. My guess is, and I think this is the place that's going to probably drive the most traction in your life, that you and I, we are on journeys of self-discovery. We are trying to figure out who we really are, why we exist in this world, and what we are supposed to do with our lives. Are we doing what we should be doing? Are we being who we should be being? Through getting our own fingerprints on the Bible, we don't just learn who God is, we learn who we are. And then we have the agency, we have an internal world that keeps us from being misled. And so if we can do that, if we can desire to know God deeply, if we want to know him deeply, if we want to know him personally, then getting our own fingerprints on the Bible, it's non-negotiable. There's nothing like learning what God says for yourself, determining your own opinions, and not having it regurgitated from somebody like me. That's what God wants. And if you are willing to commit to that process of getting your own fingerprints on the Bible, one, you'll, you'll stop misunderstanding this. You'll start understanding what is actually in here without having to take somebody else's word for it. You're going to start to understand the very nature of who God claims himself to be. And you're going to start to discover who you really are, who he made you to be, and what your purpose is on this world. And so where do we begin? I want to attack those kind of three things. What's the nature of the Bible? What's the nature of God? And what's the nature of our relationship with him? Now, first thing I think we have to do to kind of shift and to try and get our own fingerprints on the Bible is we have to stop looking at the Bible from the perspective of like a textbook. A lot of us are raised in school. Or actually, I don't even know. If, do they have textbooks anymore in schools? Who went to school with the textbook? Thank you. We are together, my, my brethren and sisterhood, like we who know the textbook. When you look for an answer, what do you do? You go to the table of contents, right? You flip through it. You find an index. I don't know what PVER equals NT, right? You know, like all those, like, I don't know what, you know, what inter, you know, travel trade looked like in the 1800s, you know, but I got to figure it out. So what would we do with the textbook? You'd flip to the back and you say, like, I have a problem, I have something that I need an answer for, and I just need to get the answer in my life. That's what it's like to consult a textbook. That's what it's like to consult a technical manual. And so some of us approach it like a, like a textbook, where it's like, I just got to get this answer. You know, I need this answer for my life. I need this answer um, to, to solve in my life. Or so many of us, you know, when we think about the Bible, our first interaction with it, have anybody, please be brave, I'm going to raise my hand to this. I want you to be brave too. How many of you, when you've been looking for answers, have you ever done the blind finger of faith? 
Come on. Do you know what it is? I'm going to show you if you don't know what it is. I don't suggest this. In fact, I'm going to do this as an example of what not to do. So the blind finger of faith is, oh God, I, I don't know what's going on. What's happening? Please show me. Please show me your will. And then you use a finger and you say, but then when Zephaniah the priest received Shemaniah's lair, he took it to Jeremiah and read it to him. And you go, what is that? <laughs> that can't possibly be it. So you do another, it's like with the globe, you spin it, you put your finger, I'm going to live here one day, right? And so you do it again and then you go, now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though so I realize you think I'm a timid in a person and bold, you know, I'm only bold far away. Okay, that's more helpful. You know, like you start to get progressively better, especially as you do it at the end of the Bible, right? Some of us approach the Bible like that. We approach it as kind of this like farmer's almanac where I have a specific problem and I, I need the answer. It's a, it, I need the technical information, so I'm just going to finger through it, you know, da 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 so, so at best, you know, we, we, we approach the Bible and we look at the nature of the Bible as this mysterious thing that's, that's kind of unapproachable and I feel like I have to be an expert. I don't really know how to read it, but it's supposed to have this answer and there's just kind of like this confusion in it. But some of our first experiences with the Bible, and I really want to recognize you here today, is you've had the Bible used at you. You know what I mean? You've had the Bible used at you. So instead of your own kind of naive entrance into what answer I'm going to get out of it, you've had somebody quote something to you to try to control you. You've had someone try to use the Bible to act as God over your life, which is an unholy misuse of what God has given us through this. And so you look at some of the first interactions we have with this and what we assume to be the nature to be, one nature of this is we think it's like a textbook and we're struggling to understand it and we think um, there's a certain sense of needing to be qualified to understand it. But then there's this other interaction where we feel shame when we're around it. There's a shame, like, oh my gosh, this is just full of rules and the only time I've ever heard it is when it's quoted at me, when somebody's tried to control my behavior and I don't, want, I don't want any part of that. And so one of the shifts I think we have to make or one of the things we have to do is we have to stop understanding the Bible as a textbook and we have to understand it as a, a family heirloom. So you have two Bibles here. I want to show you two Bibles. This Bible, to me, is kind of the example of the textbook, right? I love, now, I love this. This isn't to dog on this or throw shade too much on it, right? But, like, you open it up and it's intimidating, there's a lot of footnotes, right? Here, let me get it right there. There's a lot of footnotes in this, right? It can feel like there's a weightiness to this. I mean, look how thick it is. You hear that? <laughs> like, let me drop it right now. Okay, let's see. It should be quiet. That's not very approachable, is it? It's not very accessible, is it? Now, I want to show you a different Bible, okay? This is a different Bible. This is a family Bible. This is a Bible that's old. <laughs> this is a Bible that has been lived through. It's not just technical, but it's got stories in it. It's got, uh, let me try and get to some of it. It's got footnote. Look at that. Right? 
this doesn't just tell you, this isn't about telling you what to do. This is about telling you who you are. And that's a different way to think about engaging the Bible. Because what would you say, you probably could even guess as I say it right now, like, what's the, what's the difference between these two Bibles? This one's got fingerprints all over it. This belongs to some, not just somebody, but someones who have made this a part of their life. Now, this Bible could become like this, but it's going to take work, isn't it? It's going to take a commitment. See, I think what we have to start to get, what's really, really important to understand is that the Bible is primarily more like a family heirloom than it is a technical manual. Yes, there's, there's technical stuff in it. Yes, there's scholarship, right? Yes, there's footnotes. But more than anything else, what the Bible really is, is it's an account of family history. It's a recording of generation upon generation upon generation given to us to receive so that we don't forget where we come from. So much time has been spent here. It's like, which Bible would you like your life to look like at the end of your life, right? That kind of idea of like, man, if, if my life could look like this here, I think that there would be a significant impact in the world and on others. When we start to do that, when we start to make that shift, and we stop trying to think of the Bible as just this textbook, but, but more like a family heirloom, more like a personal journal that's been handed to us, so that we don't forget where we come from, what's going to start to happen is, is we're going to start to see God much more as a loving parent and not um, that fearful, angry judge that's just up there in the clouds. More, maybe, maybe more like peevish accountant. Sorry if there's any peevish accountants in here today. But you know that idea of keeping track of our sins? You know, like that's, that's kind of that's something that, that hovers over us. Is God keeping track? I mean, that's, again, that's where I was as a 16 or 17-year-old, where I felt like I was a six and a half, a seven, like, okay, God's got it. He's God. He's keeping track. I got to do more. We can come with that attitude. We can come with that lens towards the Bible, towards God. But if we spend time getting our fingerprints on the Bible, what's going to come out is that he is much more dad then he is a dictator. And just like any parent, what he really wants is he wants his words of life to live inside of our hearts. There's been, it's been several years since I've done this, but there have been times in my life where I, I felt the need or the urge or the compulsion to write a letter to my kids when they were younger. You know what I mean? And some of you have probably done that, right? Like, you write, you write your kids a letter, and this is when my kids were maybe, like, just born. I can remember writing my, you know, when I had my first kid. You know, like, I can remember getting a journal out and getting a spiral notebook out and, like, writing about the feelings I was having then. And I was writing my hopes for what he would happen in his life. And I can remember on some of their birthdays when they're younger, getting out paper and pen and writing those words for them to have when I'm not around. That's the picture 
I think we need to have. That's the picture I think you need to have when it comes to getting your own fingerprints on the Bible. It's not an accountant trying to give you a checklist to make sure you're not sinning. It's that of a parent who's, who's writing and pouring out his heart. It's that of a father, a parent, who loves his child so much, because that's what I want for my kids. Because I know I'm not going to have them forever. I know I'm going to pass away. I know that they are going to move out. And what I want in them, what I want for them, is to have life inside of them, to know me, to know my voice. I want my kids to be able to hear me even when I'm not there. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to spend the kind of time it takes relating to him, getting to know him, getting to know what's on his heart, that we would hear his voice in any situation that we find ourselves in. Ultimately, what God as parent, what God as father is after is that we would get to know him so deeply, so personally, that our character would be formed like his character. We would become like him. That's what parenthood is all about, character formation. I want to read to you some scripture. It's the only scripture we're going to put up here today. I want to read to you Proverbs 2, 1 through 10, because this is what I feel like. If, if I could condense and distill what God's trying to do through the Bible and why we should get our fingerprints on it, I, I think it lives here. So I'm going to read this out loud from the screens here. In Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, and Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's a book of just a bunch of wisdom sayings. It says, my child. See how it starts? My child. Listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. Keep going. Next slide. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. And this is my favorite part, verse 10 here, right at the end. This is my favorite part. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. What God wants for us, since he's our father and we're his children, is he's interested in our character formation. And so what he wants is he wants his words to live in our hearts. He wants his wisdom to actually be alive so that we hear him even when he is not around. I think you've probably had that experience before in your life. Have you ever listened to someone so much that you can hear what they would say in that situation if they were there with you? Some of you have been watched enough TV to know how certain characters would respond, right? You know how Ted Laszlo would respond. You know how um, Steve Carell for The Office. You know what he would say and how inappropriate it would be if he were to say something, right? <laughs> These characters that you spend time with, what do they do? They live inside of you. You carry 
their personality with you. And you can imagine what they would say and how they would respond in whatever situation you are in. That's character formation. That's what God wants. God wants his word, his living, active, breathing words, what has been passed down from generation to generation, the wisdom that he has. He wants it not to just be this external control device, but an actual life inside of us. He wants his word to come alive so that we may know how to act as he would act in this world. And so in this, you're going to find a ton of encouragement. I promise you, I have been through the worst times in my life when I have felt so much like crap that all I could do would be to hang on to a single verse and find hope in something other than my own life circumstances. So there's going to be tons of encouragement, but there's also going to be challenges in that. And I think that's something sometimes we're not prepared for. And we're not prepared for it because we are still living in a childish mindset. Another definition of a child, I think, is just a a being who is completely self-centered, self-absorbed. They only think about what they want when they want it. I am dealing with this so much right now. You know, I have a 7-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And I have to be involved in their character formation. I can't just encourage them. (laughs) Because if I just encourage them all the time, I would end up, and we're fighting it, (laughs) with just a bunch of jerks. (laughs) Because until they're challenged, until you butt heads with them, and let them know they're doing things the wrong way, they're never going to learn to not be self-centered little buttholes. Now you can say amen, Richard. (laughs) God's trying to do the same thing with us. And if you would just for a second maybe allow that that's the whole point, you would experience incredible transformation. You would experience self-awareness. You see, the thing that we need to be saved from more than anything else, it's not our financial situation. It's not our relational situation. It's not our marriage situation. It's not even any physical illness that we're going through. The thing we need to be saved from more than anything else is our own self-centeredness. That's what the Bible means when it talks about sin. You could go through the Bible. You could get your own fingerprints on the Bible. And anytime it uses the word sin, just replace it with self-centeredness. Replace it with self-absorption. So God as Father is trying to raise his kids, us, out of a place of immaturity and self-centeredness and self-absorption, and he's trying to put within our hearts other-centeredness, other-orientatedness. That's what the Father's heart is all about, other-orientatedness. That's what a parent's heart is about, other-orientatedness. God didn't need to create humanity just like I didn't need to have three kids and change a bunch of diapers. Like, I didn't need that in my life. I didn't need my kids. My kids learned this trick at our Eagle Lake camps called playing the bagpipes. Have you seen playing the bagpipes? Uh, It's the most annoying thing in the world. Let me show you. (laughs) 
They grab their nose. Like, you want, let's do this together. Can we make this a group activity? I think we'll get best effect. We will get maximum effort from this if we all do this, okay? So everybody grab your nose. And then you notice already you're in entering the right octave. And then chins up. And then what you're going to do is you're going to emit a sound and you're going to just throat chop yourself, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so you're just going to throat chop yourself. So, <laughs> do I need that? I was trying to do this. I was trying to come up with this message and that was in the background. Dude, I need that? No. Did you need that? No. But, but did from my heart, I laugh. I did. Did from my heart spring joy? The joy that only comes, you know, from, from having that intimate bond and connection? Yeah. That's love, right? God didn't need us, but he chose to create us so that we could share in his eternal love. Did you catch that? God doesn't need us. I mean, we don't need children. We can, you know, and if you don't have children, that's okay. You're just as valuable. Our society can lift family on a pedestal, and that sucks for you. I'm sorry. You can have just a fruitful life as, as, as anybody else, whether you have kids or not, whether you're married or not. It sucks that our society idolizes family so much. God didn't need us. But because his very nature, the only kind of nature you can learn about is if you get your own fingerprints on this, his very nature is that of an other-centered personality, an other-centered character. And what he's trying to do in us and why he challenges us, why he puts things in the Bible that we are going to absolutely struggle with and absolutely hate and absolutely resist. It's because he's trying to get us to be other-centered, not self-centered. That's the mark of maturity. That's the mark of moving from childhood to being a, an adult that's still a child. We're always going to be children of God, but we don't have to live in childhood with God. We can mature, and that's only going to come through getting our own fingerprints on the Bible, learning what he says to us personally, without having it regurgitated by anybody else. And the only thing that's required is a humble heart. And, and I don't have the scripture up because it was just this morning. I think this is what happens as you start living this life and you start hearing God speak. And it can be a little weird, but it's also super comforting to know that he does. And in, in Psalm 51... This is a psalm written by King David, who was a child of God, but who had acted very childish. David, and this is what's really, I think, interesting or cool, whatever you want to call it, or intriguing about the Bible, is you can come into this thinking that it's going to be full of saints and then be utterly flabbergasted at how horrible the people are in it. And so what the Bible is, is it's not so much this mirror of what sainthood looks like and all these good people, what it really is is it's a document, it's an accounting of how self-centered these people are. The Bible is really an account of what uh, unadulterated, unfiltered self-centeredness looks like. 
and the chaos that reigns out of self-centeredness and the sin that drives all that self-centeredness. And so you can have these figures like a, a, a King David who wrote a lot of the Psalms and is very featured in the Bible. You can have this, 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 this person of King David who's a king. He's like got the loftiest position that you can have at that time. Yet he does horrible things. He does really childish things. And so in Psalm 51, you have David who recognized his self-centeredness. He recognized his childishness. But he still knew he was a child of God. And he wrote this in Psalm 51, verse 16. And I'm going to read verse 16 and 17. And he just writes about God. He's talking to God. He's pouring his out heart out to God. And he says, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. The verse that's stuck in my head, it doesn't read it like that because I learned it a different way. The verse I remember is a, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We have David, he recognizes, man, I'm acting childishly, child, I'm acting like a child, I'm selfish, but you do not require a sacrifice. And why does he know that God does not offer a sacrifice? I don't think he knew it then because Jesus hasn't come yet, but we can know it now. God doesn't require a sacrifice from us because he's already exacted a sacrifice from Jesus Christ. And so this whole Bible, this whole getting our fingerprints on the Bible and where the story goes, it all leads to Jesus. And it's given to us so that we can believe what David wrote there with our whole heart. That to be children of God, we don't have to sacrifice anything. We don't have to give him our good works. We don't have to, you know flagellate ourselves, you know, just, just whip our own backs with shame and guilt and contempt and talk about how horrible we are. We don't have to either, we don't have to go into self-contempt. We don't have to go into other-centered contempt. What God asks is, is, is only one thing, a humble spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He doesn't ask for a sacrifice from us because Jesus already offered himself as a sacrifice. And so we just get to come to God we just get to say, God, I am sorry. I've been living like a child. I've been living like a child, but I want to grow up. And that's what getting your own fingerprints on the Bible is going to help you do. It's going to help you receive the words of Father into a place that changes your entire character and relationships. Would you guys pray with me, please? Father, we just want to thank you for being a father and knowing that we're children. And, and you know that we're going to act in childish ways, but you do not demand a strapping of our backs because Jesus took a strapping to his back. And so I just pray, Father, that we could look sideways to our brother, Jesus, who, who took the death we deserve so that we can live the life he deserved, and that we could wear that, that we could step into that. I pray that you give us the motivation to grow up. Give us the desire to be challenged 
by what we find in the Bible. And I just pray you'd give us just the fruit of knowing you more through hearing you speak. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.